This podcast covers all things health, your body, your brain, and your well-being. Each week, we'll be joined by doctors, as well as the occasional guest, to talk about the health topics that mean the most to you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Clinical studies are the foundation upon which all new therapies are built. Whether a drug or device, it has to be tested rigorously in a sufficient number of people to give meaningful results. And it's not just the number of people who enter a study that's important. It's really the number at the end that determines how much data can be analyzed to result in a solid conclusion of whether a product is safe and effective for a particular use. Long studies can be problematic in terms of retaining volunteers from start to finish. People are free to drop out at any time for any reason or for no reason at all a part of informed consent that protects participants' rights. They may get tired of frequent appointments, have an adverse reaction to a drug, get bored with a long study duration, object to long or costly travel, they may not like inconvenient procedures, they may experience disease progression, may lack social support, or may move out of the area. Here is a quick word from our sponsor. We take this few seconds off to inform you, our valued loyal listener, about the best health and fitness podcast shows from the Nespod Studios. Join us as we give you the best of the best health and wellness updates you can rely on for the treatment of chronic health problems. Classic functional medicine back to basics health tips and special updates from the best doctors in the United States of America. Check out this health and wellness podcast shows. Explore Health Talk Weekly, Healthy Lifestyle Matters, Excellent Health Digest, Healthy and Free Daily and last but not least, Weekly Health and Fitness Corner. Also, check out Nasty Boy CC The Truest Story Never Told Fiction Podcast, for that real life on the go experience with the 27-year-old golden boy, who made our guest invite number one list. He tells us about his story as it happens in real time and in real life. It's Nasty Boy CC The Truest Story Never Told. Go get a load of that happiness because happiness is healthy as we know it. 
Join us every week as we continue to provide you the best of health and fitness wellness updates from around the globe. Enjoy the show. So making studies easier on the participants and even enjoyable is important to keep them coming back. I asked nurse Christine Hunter, research director of the Parkinson's Disease Center and Movement Disorders Clinic at Baylor College of Medicine, about what kinds of studies Baylor is conducting, the ways in which she finds people willing to participate in them, and how she facilitates and encourages participants to stay in the studies. First of all, how do you find people who are willing to participate at all? Okay, that's an interesting question. So we go various places. So first we go to our support group. So we have a local support group, the Houston Area Parkinson's Society, and most cities have or centers have an, a support group affiliated. So that's a good place to start. We talk to patients in the clinic when they're there for their visits. We go to the major advocacy groups like the Parkinson's Foundation. We also post on the Michael J. Fox Trial Finder. And then we also post most clinical trials on clinicaltrials.gov. And so patients can look there to see what studies may be in their area. And that kind of kind of tends to hone it down a little bit so that they're looking locally and not just globally. When trials have a long time frame, such as to follow progression of any disease, is there a problem in keeping people coming back? It can be. I think it goes down to the relationship that the participants have with their coordinator, with their medical director at the center. And that relationship really drives the retention in the studies. But again, things change over time. So you have every intention of starting the trial and finishing it. But as things progress and things get tougher, it may be difficult. So we try to think of things like try to make the visits as efficient as possible, pay for parking, try to get them lunch while they're there, try to make it a pleasant experience so that they don't dread coming, and then they keep coming back over time. We have retention events sometimes for longer trials that go on for years. We'll have retention events so that everybody can meet each other and it becomes more of its own support group. What kind of things are these trials researching or looking for? Most of the longer studies that go on a long time, there are some genetic studies, but we're looking for biomarkers. So biomarkers are things like a test for maybe prostate disease has the PSA, cholesterol, you can measure cholesterol level, that kind of thing. There isn't anything for Parkinson's yet. And so we're looking for those biomarkers that can either tell us that the person's going to develop the disease or measure progression of the disease. So we're looking for all of those kinds of things in various and sundry places, skin, CSF, blood, urine, looking everywhere. So you're looking at various chemicals. It seems like kind of a shotgun approach and then following them and seeing which of those things correlate with the progression or state of their disease. Right. Right. And the biggest one of those trials is run by the Fox Foundation, and that's the PPMI. It's the Parkinson's Progression Markers Initiative. And there are oh, close to 700 people that are involved in that trial. Over time, we have healthy controls. We have people with Parkinson's. And then lately, we've had some genetic cohorts, which are also looking a little bit more specifically for cues as to what these genetic diseases mean. So if you have LARC2, for instance, we don't know exactly what the probability of developing Parkinson's is with that. So we're looking at those too and following people that are affected and unaffected over time. What are some of the barriers to people staying in a trial coming back? I think a lot of it is things change. 
as disease progresses. And you know, we start out with people in a very early stage of Parkinson's. But as things progress, it gets harder to get there. So they may not drive anymore. Work commitments, family commitments, all of those things can impact someone's participation and willingness to stay in a trial. So we try to mitigate as many of those as we can, and sometimes you can't. What are some of the consequences of dropouts? You expect to have a certain number, and you end up with some number less. It does impact the trials, and that's why we make every effort to make sure that people can stay in a trial. The trial goes on longer. If you have to try to replace people to replace the numbers, it may take longer to get the answers that you want. And some you just can't replace. The numbers are finite. And so it does impact the trial in that we don't have the total number at the end. And so, you know, statisticians can do so much with data, but we do need the people to actually stay in trials. Does um, patient or caregiver or advocacy organization engagement help design trials that are easier for people to stay in but still yield useful results? Absolutely. I think that the more we involve the persons with Parkinson's in the design of these trials, we get a more realistic view. We tend to, scientists and researchers, try to, we write these protocols and put all this stuff in there that is a burden and can be a burden for the patient and the caregiver. And so having that patient input or caregiver or advocacy group input really can make the trial much more efficient and much more realistic. Here is a quick word from our sponsor. We take this few seconds off to inform you, our valued loyal listener, about the best health and fitness podcast shows from the Nespod Studios. Join us as we give you the best of the best health and wellness updates you can rely on for the treatment of chronic health problems. Classic functional medicine back to basics health tips and special updates from the best doctors in the United States of America. Check out this health and wellness podcast shows. Explore Health Talk Weekly, Healthy Lifestyle Matters, Excellent Health Digest, Healthy and Free Daily and last but not least, Weekly Health and Fitness Corner. Also, check out Nasty Boy CC The Truest Story Never Told Fiction Podcast, for that real life on the go experience with the 27-year-old golden boy, who made our guest invite number one list. He tells us about his story as it happens in real time and in real life. It's Nasty Boy CC The Truest Story Never Told. Go get a load of that happiness because happiness is healthy as we know it. Join us every week as we continue to provide you the best of health and fitness wellness updates from around the globe. Enjoy the show. This sounds like what this uh, PCORI Institute does, patient-centered outcomes research and really centering on the patient and what's important ultimately to their care. Right. And that's why we do clinical trials. We're looking at bringing new therapies to people with Parkinson's. But if we burden them so much and we can't get people in trials, then we can't bring them new therapies and enhance their lives. So our trials take so long that you don't get an answer for years. So we want to get the fast turnaround of these trials and get new therapies to people with Parkinson's. Is there any evidence, even anecdotal, that having patients involved in trial design, prioritizing outcomes so you don't just add point after point that you're looking at, really have an effect on keeping people in? You know, I think it does. We have the advocates that are part of the Parkinson's Foundation advocates. They have the Fox Foundation has their own ambassadors, that kind of thing, that 
keep us real. And I think that's a very important message to researchers is that we need to keep it real because we need these people to participate. And so I think having them involved up front really takes away some of the extra things that we could just throw into trials just to keep them going. Trials, when done right, ideally, are pretty clean. You have a certain defined group and you do something, either give them a medication or not or whatever, but that's not the real world. I mean, there's inclusion and exclusion criteria. If you have this and this in addition to what you have, you can't come in our trial. Real world trials called pragmatic trials seem to be more what people will experience in their day-to-day real world out there. So our pragmatic trials, looking at people in the community and how they're followed and what the outcomes are, are they useful? They are. They have a place that I think really for pharmaceutical trials, that kind of thing, nothing replaces the double-blind placebo-controlled trial for the stringency of clinical trial research. But I think the pragmatic trials maybe follow up on some of the trials that have been done. So you have phase one, which is just healthy volunteers. Stage two is a smaller number. Then stage three becomes the bigger number of people. And in that, sometimes the inclusion-exclusion stretches out a little bit. It's not quite as strict. And then a lot of times you'll do a phase four, which is after that big trial is done. And that's the more realistic study that's done without as many exclusions or inclusion criteria that would be more stringent. And when some of the adverse effects come out that you didn't see in a 2,000-person trial, but when you got 100,000 people on a drug... Then you'll see those. Do you have in mind some next steps to retain patients in trials better? You know, as we hear and include more people and their care partners in clinical research and try to make it more patient-focused, I think those next steps would be to include more people in these clinical trials. The FDA may be rethinking that maybe not every study has to be placebo-controlled. You might do smaller studies that are placebo-controlled just to make sure you have a signal and then maybe do more pragmatic studies bringing forth newer therapies. So we have a couple new studies coming that are open-label, but it's a new formulation of a drug that's already approved. So you don't have to be as stringent. You don't have to have as many inclusion-exclusion as you would the first time a drug is tested in people. In some other areas, they're doing what's called adaptive trial design, where a drug enters it, and if it shows reasonable efficacy, it moves on to a more formal trial, or it fails. It either succeeds, as they call it, graduates, or fails. Are they doing that in Parkinson's at all? Yes, we have done some of those trials. And then even in some of the newer studies where you have a drug, you test it in the first six people. If you don't have side effects, then you can continue at that dose and enroll the next 12. Then for the next dose cohort, you subject six more people to that newer dose. And if that's safe and tolerated, then you move to a larger group. And so they're doing a lot more of that as we're dose finding and trying to find the right doses so you don't expose a whole population and take a long time to enroll a bunch of people in that kind of trial. So I think those adaptive trials are becoming more popular. And it changes with things as they go along. As you find out that it's safe and tolerated, then you can move on to the next phase a little quicker. Is there anything interesting to add or that we've missed that's important? I just want to encourage people with Parkinson's to talk to your centers, talk to your coordinators, find out how you can participate. Even registry trials that there's no intervention, Those give us a lot of information. 
and they're very important as well. And you're helping yourself as well as other people with Parkinson's. So encourage all people with Parkinson's to participate in trials. Great. Thank you. Thank you all for listening. And until next time. This will conclude the episode. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you hear, please leave a comment and subscribe. Thank you. This will conclude the episode. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you hear, please leave a comment and subscribe. Thank you.